Good tidings, everyone. This is Michael Gobier from the Hey! It's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 259, Ted Lasso. I'm Chris McBride, and that's Derek Myers, and this is Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. If you've ever listened to this show before, you know I pretty much don't like anything new. But one TV show that I actually watched was Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. So since I actually have watched and can comment on something new, we decided to take advantage of this novelty around here and we decided we would review the series Ted Lasso here on the podcast. But one thing though, there will be spoilers So if you haven't seen the show or if you're not caught up on the show, especially the finale, then just be forewarned because we're going to be talking about the the series in depth, including the finale. But before we get to that, Derek, hello, my friend. And what is new in the world of pop culture for you? Hey, Chris, I only had a chance to uh, take in a couple of things, but uh, one of them is a documentary. So you get to play the song in a minute. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. So I had a chance to watch a relatively new movie that just came out this year. At least it just dropped on uh, Amazon Prime in the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. It's the latest offering from director M. Night Shyamalan. And the movie is called Knock at the Cabin. Have you heard about it? You seen a trailer for it? Anything? Haven't even heard of it. Okay. Um, what I didn't realize, I know what I didn't realize until after I watched the movie and started to. So normally after I watch movies, I go on to the IMDb and I read the trivia and I look up any sort of reviews to see what other people thought about it. Um, Let me me guess. The thing that you didn't know before was that it sucked. No, it was actually quite good. Oh, I really enjoyed oh, oh, it. Um, what I didn't know was that it's actually based on a novel. So although M. Night Shyamalan has a writing credit for the script, it's, it's adapted from a book. So, Anyone who's like, well, he's lost its touch and he's not a great storyteller or whatever, whatever your beef might be with M. Night Shyamalan himself, know that he he is adapting the work of somebody else. And I thought the movie was great. It's uh, it, it's sort of um, marketed as like a horror movie, like a horror thriller. But I, uh, horror is definitely the wrong genre. It's more think of it more like I would call it maybe a, a suspense movie is probably a better way to do it. There there is there is violence in the movie, but it's more off screen violence. Like whenever something really bloody, gory or violent is happening, the cameras cut away and and, and you just hear things. And it's like it's like the lesson learned from Jaws. What your mind thinks is happening is probably more grotesque than anything the director could actually put on the screen. And this movie does that very well. There's only a few key scenes where there are violent acts and they they all happen like off camera. So it's but it's suspenseful. The it's this uh, this couple and their daughter are have rented a cabin in the woods. And you know five ten minutes into the movie, four strangers show up and basically give them an ultimatum. Uh, and um, you know they basically say if you don't do what we're asking you to do, the world will come to an end. 
And so through the course of the movie, you as the audience and the the people renting the cabin have to decide, do these four visitors actually are they telling the truth? Are they are what they're saying going to come to pass or are they just cuckoo bananas crazy and, and here to kill people? So it uh, it was good. It stars. The main star is uh, Dave Bautista, who people probably know best from Guardians of the Galaxy. He plays Drax the Destroyer. Um, and man, oh, man, that guy's a big dude. Like when he's wearing a shirt and uh, and and like glasses and stuff, it's like it's he's pretty menacing, even uh, even like that. But uh, anyway, I really enjoyed it. It's called Knock at the Cabin. It's on Amazon Prime, uh, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, yeah, I would say give it 10 or 15 minutes. If you're not digging it, then you're probably not going to, but, uh, no, it was quite good. I really liked it. And, uh, it really, they really stuck to landing. You know, that seems to be a problem with some of Shyamalan's movies is the last 10 minutes sort of fizzle out. But I thought this one really worked. And then when I read the trivia after they talk about like what changes they made from the book. And I found that quite interesting as well. So it's interesting that you would say that M night Shyamalan has trouble sticking the landing because I think with the sixth sense, he sort of established the fact that he had this like twist ending. That was always his thing. Well, I, I, again, I don't want to say too. I, I probably already said a little too much as far as the tiny bits of it. But um, no, I really liked it. It's if you've got Amazon, it's not going to cost you anything to watch it. It's going to it's you know ninety minutes of your life. If you're anything like me, there's a lot of days I'm just like I want to watch something and I have no idea. So give it a try. It's called uh, Knock at the Cabin, and it's probably if you look on you know top ten this week, it's probably there because it right. just came out and people love new stuff. And then the second uh, thing I had to watch this week was a documentary. For forty days and forty nights, watch documentary. Likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. Please do share. So this documentary is called Body Parts, and it's about nudity in movies and television. Oh, where well, where do I find this one? Where where where? It's, it's that sort of okay. Now that I've <laughs> given you the the sensational title and and explanation, that's that's not really what it's about. But that is sort of what it's about. So a few months back, I told you I watched, I think it was a two or three hour documentary. It was all about the history of nudity in films. Yeah, I remember you said it was like it was on Tubi or something. And you made and I went and watched part of it. It was pretty good. Yeah. So so I had that that context. I had that background. And so this documentary does talk a little bit about the history of nudity in films Mm -hmm. and the role and the role that women played, especially when when the movie industry first began, there were a lot of women writers, a lot of women directors, a lot of women producers, a lot of women performers. It was very, you know, girl power 100 years ago. And then, you know, when it got into the 40s and 50s, that all changed. White men stepped up and said women can't do stuff, can't, can't, you know, be in positions of power. And the, the whole money got changed. involved, right? Big time. Yeah. yeah. There were other factors, which they talk about. But right. um, and then. What it really starts to get into is the exploitation of the female form and of female performers throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and the deplorable and despicable things they had to do to work, the things they had to put up with or else be blacklisted. And they talked to a lot of performers. Jane Fonda is in this a lot where she's like, she was a big name and a star performer. And she was in movies where at the last second they say, okay, and now this scene, you're going to be naked. And she's like, well, I don't want to do that. They're like, okay, we're going to cast someone else. She's like, you're kidding. You've already shot half the movie. Like they uh, just... It, it, it's, it was such a big problem for so long that no one was addressing. So this documentary does a, a, a good job of shining a spotlight on the problems. But it does towards the, you know, the last half of the movie talks about the giant steps to try and make things better that have happened in the last 10 years. And I'm not saying they've solved the problem by no means. There are still huge issues. But there are um, 
the opportunities that people have had over the last even just five years to make things better, the people that have um, stuck together, come out, uh, you know, accuse the the horrible people of doing the horrible things through things like the Me Too movement and things of that nature, you know, like the Harvey Weinstein and all that stuff. And they, they talk a little bit about that in this documentary and how it's becoming more in the public eye. But one of the things that, that this really talks about that I wasn't aware of is that now in Hollywood, they actually have an intimacy coordinator on the set of most productions. So like when they do stunts, they have a stunt coordinator to make sure people don't get hurt. And it's only recently that they've realized they need an intimacy coordinator to make sure that there is no sexual misconduct happening, there is no un, you know uh, exploitative oh, nudity that's happening. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. They, they go into that, and they Good talk idea about like too. they were using an example of like when you join the union. There's, I think they said the the SAG union. It's like an 800 page contract you have to read and sign when you join the union. Only one paragraph of one page has anything to do with nudity in an 800 page document. And they said like, this is just indicative of the problems that people, mostly women, have had to face over the years when it came to being nude on film. So uh, it's called Body Parts. Uh, I watched it here in Canada on Crave, so it's probably HBO or Showtime in the US. Really good, again, it's only about 90 minutes. Um, very, uh, as a man, I just felt so bad about my gender and myself by the end of this because of the horrible things that men have done to women over the years. But uh, there is some promise where you see that the you know things are starting to trend in the right direction again change takes time which is unfortunate especially if you're one of the women that's being exploited but you know you can't make something better until you acknowledge a problem and it seems like there is finally some acknowledgement of the problem so and it's very very positive documentary yeah and it's interesting you mentioned that because that other documentary that you had me watch like a while ago i watched pretty much all of it it was amazing to see like some of the women like in interviews saying some of the stuff that went on behind the scenes was just deplorable. Like, oh yeah. Like, I mean, I think it was Linda Blair was talking about one of those prison movies with John Vernon and how he was just like rough with her and stuff like that. Like for no reason, like it just, so that's, Oh yeah. It's, yeah. So Hollywood sucks sometimes. Really yeah. Does. Yeah. Good no, God. it totally does. And, and again, when there's it's so much it's money, reflective of society too. Right. It definitely is. And they talk yeah. a little bit about like when Trump came into power, how, uh, you know, under his presidency, certain things were, um, st you know, certain actions and behaviors started to become more acceptable again. It was, and it was sort right? of uh, yeah. sort of undoing some of the, the progress that was being made in the years prior. Um, but uh, again, it's it's baby steps. Unfortunately, it's going to take baby steps. But uh, on the plus side, they are happening. It's unfortunate that it's going to take a long time before the, the, you know, before things start to change so much for the better. Oh, okay. So you guess what I did? I introduced my kids to Mork from Ork this past week. Nice. Nanu, nanu. <laughs> yeah. I spent the weekend up in the trailer and we always bring along DVDs to watch, uh, you know, at night together. I had Happy Days season five, naturally. And we watched the episode where Mork comes down from space and lands in Milwaukee and then he freezes Fonzie. And my youngest son is pretty picky about the things he watches i'm not sure where he gets that from no <laughs> probably kidding. his mother i don't know <laughs> so because he's so picky i don't know if he's gonna actually go ahead and watch mork and mindy with me or not but i will try but i i will say so i've got the i've got him to watch happy days land of the lost and different strokes so far and he likes them all so nice. there's one more that i want to get him to watch any guesses what it is hmm 
Love Boat. I'll give you a hint. going to watch Wonder Woman with me or not. Well, or hang on. How, how old is he? Uh, he's 10. Oh, trust me. He'll watch it. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we go. Here's your dad joke of the week. Well, you know, since I, I thought since we're reviewing Ted Lasso this week and since Ted Lasso's known for his mustache, that I would do a mustache dad joke for you. Okay. Right. right? So here goes. Derek, why did the mustache go to the bank? I don't know. To open a shavings account. I think we need to trim that joke out of this podcast. Bob Ross, the joy of painting. No, it looks stupid. <laughs> it's it's actually mesmerizing. Or perhaps inhale some substances. Right. They might find this painting show ten times better than someone who is, you know, in complete control of their faculties. Oh, there's a little happy accident. We got a little bit of brown there. Let's just make it into a tree. Stoner college students that watch it, they're like, oh my god, this is the so best thing good. to watch when you're high. I can't believe he just made a mountain. If I'm in the right mood and I see it comes on cable, I'm gonna sit and watch it. We're gonna use some Van Dyke brown and a little bit of Prussian blue. So, full disclosure, mm-hmm. uh... So, as we all know, I, I'm pretty much stuck in the 80s. So, uh, I don't watch anything new. Unless, Derek, unless you make me watch it for the podcast. But one show that I did watch was Ted Lasso. So the series finale just dropped last week. And the show concluded after three seasons. And I just, I, again, I just want to reiterate, I don't like anything that's new for the most part. But I love this show. I watched it from start to finish. It was the best thing on television for years. So before we get into it, Derek, in 30 seconds or less, what's your take on Ted Lasso? Love it. Uh, I was a late, uh, late bloomer for Ted Lasso, Johnny Come Lately. I joined it right around the mid to late point of season two. So I was able to binge the entirety of season one in like a weekend and then most of season two the following week. And then I think I only had to wait for a couple of the episodes towards the end of season two. So for the most part, I was able to watch the entire series in probably the course of two or three weeks. And then when season three came out, I watched it week to week. Of course, it was, you know, must see viewing for me. Um, I, I liked it right off the bat. But to your point, I felt that it just got better and better. And we'll talk about all the reasons why. But I do want to say I, I was never really a big fan of Jason Sudeikis before this. Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of Saturday Night Live. And I know he was an important player in their cast for a long time. And then he left left the show and he did a handful of movies, some of which I saw and some of which were like, yeah, these are OK. I don't know. I, I didn't love him. I didn't hate him. I just never really found that he was my cup of tea. And that was, I think, the the barrier to entry for me with this show was I thought, well, I don't really care for Jason Sudeikis, so I'm going to pass. But I kept hearing all the good buzz. I saw it won all these awards. So I thought, you know what? Uh, I'll just I'll give it a pass. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'll I'll put the Jason Sudeikis of it all aside and give it a few episodes. And honestly, now, after seeing this show, I love him. I think he was I think he did a great job. And again, I'm sure we'll talk about him specifically more. But um, yeah, no, that's that's it. That's it for me. OK, so it's interesting. You started watching it in Siri in season two. Mm-hmm. Right. So I actually started watching in season one. We got Apple TV plus uh, during the summer when the pandemic hit. And my wife wanted to watch this show called The Morning Show. 
It was yes. Jennifer Her, Aniston. I've heard of it. Never Steve seen Carell. it. Yeah. I watched one episode. I hated it. And but I saw this other show they had coming out called Ted Lasso, and they they, they actually started by dropping three episodes in season one, and then the episodes after that came out like weekly, and it wasn't right away. It was maybe about two weeks after that initial drop of episodes that I started watching. So it'd be like episode five, you know, had come out. And by this point, I'd heard some good buzz about the show. So I thought, ah, I'm going to give it a try, right? I loved it right away. And funny enough, my wife didn't. She thought it was kind of dumb. And then we watched two more episodes and she was hooked. She loved it. So I, I think maybe just took a little bit of time for her to warm up to it. Because I think on the surface, it can come off as this cheesy, kind of sappy, lighthearted show. And then you start to realize like there's so much more going on. So so you started watching in season two. But I'm curious to know, did you like the show right away or did it take you a little bit of time to warm up to it? Uh, well, I liked it right away, but I really, I think, misjudged where I thought it was going to go. It, to me, originally, for like, so full disclosure, I watched the season finale last week when it dropped. And then just this week, I rewatched the first two episodes because I had heard there was a lot of parallels between episode one and the final episode. And so I thought for myself, I want to go back and give it a view just to see how the show's progressed. And um, so just rewatching it this week, it reminded me that my original take on where I thought the show was headed was that it was going to follow the same beats as the movie Major League where you've got this owner of the sports club that has their own reasons for wanting to run it into the ground, where the players and the coaches are oblivious to that fact. And then you have this conflict where, you know, the the owner is looking to tank the team, the players and the coaches are looking to make a miracle happen and conflict ensues. And along the way, probably hilarity ensues. That's what I was fully expecting it to be. And I was very pleasantly surprised that that wasn't the, it, although it may have felt like it started going in that direction, it quickly made a few left turns and uh, and really just took a totally different uh, uh, take on the whole genre for me. I thought the same thing. First episode, I thought this is just like Major League. They just yeah. want to take the team and they're going to do this. So like I mentioned, though, the thing for me was like this show could have been really, really, really dumb, like in yes. the wrong hands or at the wrong cast. It just would have been a campy, superficial show. But it wasn't, at least at least not to me anyway. So there's a lot going on in this show. There's a lot to like. And, and I think, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Jason Sudeikis because I think it kind of all starts with him. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like him that much either coming into this. I actually didn't really know him all that much. I mean, I remember a buddy of mine told me to watch a while ago. He was like, oh, you got to watch this movie, Horrible Bosses. That one I've seen. And I watched I liked it. The, I, I liked the movie, but I, I didn't really so much care for him. I didn't like the movie. I didn't. I thought it's shocking. Sick. I'm shocked. And can you he, hear the shock in my voice? I know. Totally shocked. And like you, like, so he was in it. He was dumb in that movie. And then he was on SNL, like you mentioned. But I never watched Saturday Night Live with him on it. Like, I, I stopped watching SNL back in the 90s. Right. So I again, didn't really, I didn't shocked. Really, I, can you I know. sense the shock in my voice that you've said that? <laughs> <laughs> but so I didn't have any frame of reference for Jason Sudeikis coming into this. But my overall impression of him was kind of poor mm. as I came into this, kind of like yours, I guess. But his performance is a huge part of why this show works. I, I think oh, any absolutely. other actor would have made this part just superficial and campy and 
and just dumb, but but he pulls it off. So so there's that. Wanted to talk a little bit about some of the cast. Hannah Waddingham. It's English. It's hard for me to say this, but Hanning Hannah Waddingham. <laughs> she was Rebecca Welton. There you go. All there right. you go. All right. Yeah. Thank Woo. You. So she's got two Emmy nominations for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. She got one win. I had never seen her in anything prior to this. She got started in acting doing musical theater in London, England. She is amazing in this. She is something else, like such a great character. She's, I mean, she's drop dead gorgeous. She's rich. She's powerful, strong, beautiful. But she's just as vulnerable as everybody else in the world. I think that's why I like her so much. Like she, and then she's constantly dealing with this horrible ex-husband because he never stops trying to manipulate her and everyone else. But but she stands up to him and she carries on. I thought she was absolutely perfectly cast. You? Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the things I think that we we probably will agree on is that the casting in this show is next level good. Like, you know, sometimes you watch a show and you think this show is great, but eh, I'm having a hard time buying this character, this actor in this, in this role. Uh, You know, uh, I'm going to go back to game of Thrones because Hannah Waddingham was in game of Thrones. She had a small part in the later seasons and game of Thrones is a show where it was a massively huge, huge cast. And although it was a huge phenomenon when it was on, there were a handful of performers. A lot of people were like, nah, I don't think that person was really the right one to cast in that role. With this show, Ted Lasso, um, not that it's based on a book like Lord of the, uh, Lord of the Rings, like uh, Game of Thrones was, where people had a preconceived notion of what the character should be. But given that really anyone could step into any of these roles, they did such a great job with the casting. And, and I think even if they had only had one or two missteps and they had a couple of bummer people in the roles, that I think really would have hurt the show. And I think the fact that Everyone was just so perfect in the role they were asked to play and just brought so much to it. I think that just elevated it from good to great completely. Uh, Juno Temple, uh, she was Keely. I think I remember you and I were talking one time off camera or whatever, and you really like her in this role. Oh, she's amazing. Uh, well, I mean, she's she did a lot. She's done a lot of movies. She's a pretty extensive IMDb um, um, thing. She's been, I'm looking at it now. She's got 59 movie movie or TV performances. And she always seems to be in these like smaller, I don't want to say independent movies, but maybe movies that um, aren't big hits. Uh, things that I would always call like a straight to straight to video kind of movie back in the blockbuster days. And so every year when I did the Toronto film festival, she always seemed to have a movie. So uh, oh, I've, I've probably seen about a dozen movies she's been in and some of them are great and it's unfortunate that they never really found an audience. So when I saw her in this, I was like, oh, well, maybe this will be, you know, sort of her coming out, so to speak. Not that she really needed it. She had such a uh, an extensive background, but I mean, she's certainly easy on the eyes, but she plays such a great character. And, uh, you know, again, this th- one of the things that Ted Lasso does very, very well is that it's got strong female characters, despite what you might initially think of them. And uh, between uh, Hannah Waddingham and Juno Temple being sort of the, you know, the mentor mentee relationship that comes through this show, they like they both they're just so great. And she was nominated for two Emmys as well for Best Supporting Actress in a, in a comedy series. One actor I wanted to mention was Anthony Head. He was Rupert Banyan. He was also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I've never seen that show. The TV show or the movie? The TV show. Oh, yeah, but not familiar with the show. I mean, he, I'm familiar with it, but never watched it. He was perfect in this role. Like, I hated this guy. 
everything about him. His mannerisms, just the way he like would look at people. He was one of the most manipulative characters, I think, in the history of television. Remember in that the the, the one episode where he invites Nate out for a, a guy's night out? And mm-hmm. Nate's all excited because he's going to try and bond with his boss. And Rupert has these two girls join them. Even though he's married and he knows that Nate is with Jade, he's just mm-hmm. such a bastard. Oh, God. And the way he constantly tries to manipulate Rebecca, too. Perfect villain for this show. And I love the fact that in the, like, the first episode, all the, the people in the crowd are calling uh, Ted Lasso a wanker. And in the final episode, they're all calling him a wanker. Yeah. I thought it yeah. was just like a perfect kind of way to come around. Um, Brett Goldstein, I want to mention, Roy Kent. Yep. <laughs> so good. He's nominated for two Best Supporting Actor Emmys. He won both times. The first season uh, in the 2021 Emmys, four of them were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Roy Kent, Higgins, Nate, and Coach Beard all nominated. Mm-hmm. Kent won. And he won again the next year. <laughs> I love his character. It's my wife's favorite part of the show. The way he talks with that. He's got that, like this low, quiet drawl. Every second word out of his mouth is an F-bomb. And he's, remember when he swears in front of his niece? And yeah. Keely is like, Roy, don't say that word in front of her. And he's like, why the f- not? Yeah. <laughs> and then when he first sits in on the, the Diamond Dogs meeting, and all he says is, it's <laughs> so funny. One of my favorite characters on this show. I really liked him. No one else could play this part like he did. No one. No. And I, I, I looked up at him up because I didn't know him from before this. I looked him up on the IMDb page. He was in Thor: Love and Thunder. He played Hercules. Not that I would know that, but yeah, that was a uh, the you know in the Marvel movies they always have a little post credit stinger to sort of tease you for the next one. Okay. That's it. So the last Thor movie, the little teaser at the end is they reveal that he, if they decide to go with it, they've cast him as Hercules. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So for Ted Lasso, I want to talk about three seasons. Hang on. Sorry. I want to go back to Brett Goldstein for a second. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I think the one thing that people may not realize is he's one of the writers of the show and he wasn't originally supposed to be on screen. He was hired as a writer and then ended up. Uh, auditioning and getting the role of Roy Kent. And apparently the, 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 again, you can't believe everything you read on the internet, but from what I was reading, the the character of Roy Kent was not supposed to be like a very substantial character. And then, uh, you know, he got the part and people loved him. And so his role in the show uh, has, was expanded after the positive feedback, but originally, yeah, he was just, he was a writer on the show. I wonder if the same had to do with coach beard. Because Brendan Hunt, the actor that played him, mm-hmm. was a, a creator of the show as well, and then started to act in it. So it's mm-hmm. very interesting. So, so again, I want to just go back and talk about the the number of seasons. Yep. So it ended after three seasons, obviously. But it, he, the, here's the thing. So I said to my wife after we started watching it way back in season one, I remember saying to her, "I'm like, honey, I said this to me is a three act play. It's got a story to tell." You know, yep. it's, got, it's got three parts. Act one, the team tanks. Act two, the team gels. And act three, the team comes back. And everybody learns a lesson along sort of the journey. And that's it. Yeah. And I said that right from the beginning. And when we started watching it. And I remember my, you know, saying to my wife that I, I hope that they tell this story like that and then end it. 
because like so many shows just keep going and going and going because of money, you know, and pressure from fans probably likely you know, to keep it going. But here, I, I felt there's a story to tell and that story has a beginning, middle and end. And there's no two ways about it. I'm going to miss this show. Well, I, I am so happy it ended after three seasons. It makes me just smile thinking that they told their story and got out. Well, then I'm, I got bad news for you. They mm-hmm. announced on Twitter today that there's a very good chance they are going to be coming back with a spinoff of this that is basically everybody except Ted Lasso because he clearly left the show at the end of the third season. Right. Yeah. Um, which they sort of do a nod to, again, spoiler if you haven't seen the last episode, but through the last season, Trent Krim's been writing this book. And when he gives the proof to uh, Ted Lasso and Coach Beard and he asks them for notes, um, Ted Lasso's only note is that he felt the title should be changed from the Lasso way to the Richmond way. And he said, it's never been about me. And that's sort of a reflection of the show. The show is called Ted Lasso, but it's always been about more than just Ted Lasso. And again, the parallels, because I just watched the very first episode. In the first episode, there's a press conference. And and when Rebecca um, talks to the press, she even says, she's like, we're, we're doing a new thing here in Richmond. We're doing the Lasso way. So she actually even calls that out loud in the first episode. The fact that there's that that reference at the end there to that again and that he he very clearly says no no it's not just about me uh it's nice how that comes full circle but it's also nice that it potentially leaves the door open that if if this this group of characters if this family if you will wants to if the if the disney plus or pardon me the apple people want to continue to tell this story with these characters there is that possibility uh now to your point uh i think what they've done is very nicely wrapped up it was very clearly conceived and written in a way that everything has been finalized. And if they choose to go on, fine. I'm just I'm glad that if they do choose to go on, they really have to call it something else. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. They I, haven't officially I said really, anything yet, but wink, wink. They're certainly looking in that. Direction. I really hope they don't. They don't. They don't do this. They need to end this. It it, it ended perfectly. It ended mm-hmm. perfectly, and it should be done. I have a question. Did they ever announce that it would only be three seasons? Like early in the run, like season one no. or two. So not only did they not do that, they have not called it the series finale. All season long, they have been calling it the season finale. They have not yet officially, again, I was just double checking this today. The um, Apple has not officially called it anywhere in their press series finale. So again, I think they hmm. knew that there was a chance they wanted to leave the door open. Um, maybe in part that was a misdirect at the beginning of the season because if people knew it was the finale, you could have certain expectations about how the storylines might wrap up. Um, so it might have been a clever misdirect by their marketing team. But anyway, it is what it is. Yeah, because I never remember hearing a thing about it being the end. I, I recall going into the final episode and there was this chatter kind of online that this might be the last one. And that's when they, they announced the title of the upcoming episode and it was it was going to be called So Long Fare, Farewell. And that was the only time that I really heard anything about it sort of officially being the, the final show of the series. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Well, but again, the, the title was a, a reference to the musical number that they did in the episode, right? right? So. so the series finale, I want to talk a little bit. I want to mention this last episode because I think there's a lot of amazing stuff that goes on that reflects back on the entire show itself. You know, I think there was a lot going on that was sort of meant to be metaphors for the show itself as a whole. So the first one that stuck out to me, 
there's a scene early in the show where Ted and Rebecca are sitting in the bleachers of the stadium. And this is after he's told her he's going back home to Kansas. And mm-hmm. she's like, you know, she offers him more money. And she's like, you know, maybe you could just stay for one more season. And this conversation is like an allegory for the show itself, right? Yeah. So it's almost as if Rebecca is a surrogate for the audience. You know, we want the show to stay around. You know, just one more season, you know, just give Sidakis a raise. You know, you know, Rebecca doesn't want Ted Lasso to leave and and, and neither do we. So mm-hmm. I, I felt that that scene was pretty important in that regard. Did you pick up on that scene when you saw it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I like that during that scene, he almost says nothing like she she says like she speaks and it's like the answer doesn't even need to be said. Like it's it's very much that one sided mm-hmm. conversation, but it's not one of these one sided conversations where someone's just berating you. It's like she's asking, but she can clearly tell from his mood and his body language. She knows the answer. And it's not until the very end that he he speaks. And even then, it's only a couple of words. But I, I just really like the way that that uh, that scene played out. So another scene that I thought was in the finale was a metaphor was the sort of the perfect scene. I don't know what else to call it. When Nate comes back and they do that final diamond dogs meeting and mm-hmm. Nate mentions he's like I have a girlfriend her name right. her name is Jade and she's perfect and they start talking about perfect things they're like the other side of the pillow <laughs> Shawshank <laughs> Redemption Billy Joel's The Stranger album <laughs> and and just like the scene with Rebecca in the stands that we just talked about you realize, like I did anyway, that I felt that this scene was an allegory for the whole show itself because this show is perfect. It makes the list of perfect things. You yeah. know? I think it's up to the audience to kind of connect the dots that the sh- you know the show is perfect, but I think it belongs on the list of things that the Diamond Dogs are talking about. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I think uh, you could definitely make yeah. that case. That's what I, I got of it. Uh, another uh, scene in the finale that I thought was an allegory was the believe sign. I yeah. love how it's like, it's meant, so the the sign originally is meant to be an inspiration for the team, right? Right. They put it up there on the wall, everyone looks at it, and then it gets ripped up by Nate. And then the sign becomes a metaphor itself because in the finale, the sign's gone. And then Ted learns that each player has one piece of it. And they put all the pieces together to reform the sign. Like to me, I'm like, this is like each player has a little piece of Ted with them, you know? Yeah, and, and then they, and they put it all together to accomplish something. And then I like that, um, that Ned's the one that puts it together. And if you recall, um, uh, earlier in the season, um, when Rebecca had gone to the fortune teller, the, that she had given her like these, these, cryptic clues about things that would happen in her future which from a certain perspective all of them came true but um one of the discussions that the two of them had was the idea of the the pottery the chinese pottery when there's like a cup is broken and then you use like the gold paint to patch it together and it has the symbolism of you know making the the new is even prettier than it once was because it's now got this gold inlay and when they put the believe sign back together he used like gold sparkly paint which you can see through it to to sort of mirror that that tradition of the japanese pottery and uh you know again so it was just again it's one of those subtle little wink winks if you're if you were paying attention there was that 
uh, parallel to the previous episode, but just the idea that Nate's the one that put it together after being the one that tore it apart. It's again, the show really, the writing is just so good. To, and, and you don't have to pick up on these things to enjoy them. But if you do pick up on these things, it's like getting that extra level out of it where you're like, ah, oh, okay. So, so you mentioned this briefly, but I just want to go back to it. It was, it was Trent Krim's book. He leaves the copies of his final manuscript of the book that he's been writing about the team all season, mm-hmm. right? And of course, Coach Beard has like a thousand sticky yeah. notes in it, yeah. <laughs> suggestions and comments. Of it. Ted Lasso just has one. He scratched out the name Lasso from the title, The Lasso yep. Way. Like you mentioned, it's a, and he replaced it with Richmond, right? It's yep. Richmond Way. And like you said, he leaves that note, it's not about me. It never was. Right. And again, that's another metaphor, I think, for this entire show. Like, it's called Ted Lasso, but like any good TV series, it's got to have a great supporting cast. And I think one of the things that makes Ted Lasso so perfect is this amazing supporting cast that we've, we've talked about already. But yep. it's about all of them. And it, it almost feels like Sudeikis and the producers and the showrunner are almost like breaking the fourth wall and saying... It's not about Jason Sudeikis. It's about all of us, you know, as a whole. So I, I, I cannot say enough good things about this show, especially the finale. Like, honestly, I was getting emotional watching it. It was so, so good. And I tell you, as a guy that loves Gen X pop culture and nothing new, as you know, this is one of, if not the best TV show post Gen X that I have ever seen. Yeah, I think I certainly agree. I think one of the things that that we haven't explicitly come right out and said that I think sort of, you know, I want to say it goes without saying, but we're going to say it is that part of the reason I think this show was such a success is its positivity. It it is one of these Mm -hmm. shows where you don't have characters backstabbing each other. You don't have this conniving behind the scenes, like, uh, you know, just getting in their face kind of stuff. It's it's very much like things you would you would expect to see on traditional network television. It's very, you know, like positive family values, that kind of thing. I mean, there's certainly swears and, and you know, the, the things some of the players do in their own private life, that's their business kind of thing. And there's there's sexual exploits and all the rest of that. But on its face, especially the Jason Sudeikis character of Ted Lasso is it's this overwhelming positivity. And it's the the idea that someone can be the most positive and happy person in the room. And with enough time, everyone's going to just gravitate towards them. And, and, and that, that positivity becomes infectious where so much of what we see in media today is the opposite. You have a reasonable group of people, someone comes in who's just the negative pill. And at the end of it, everybody's miserable. And so I think the fact that this show focused so heavily on the positive of it all and demonstrated how that positivity can, can, bring everybody's el- bring everybody else's emotional uh, uh, values up and just bring the positivity to everybody around them. I think that's what really really hit home for people, especially because this became so popular during the pandemic when so many people were stuck at home and feeling depressed and 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 looking for something to do, looking for some sort of positive escapism. And this show just was the right place, the right time, the right kind of show. The fact that the show was great helps. But I think that positivity of the show is really, really a huge part of what this show is all about. And even over the last couple of seasons with the whole Nate storyline, you you have a very satisfying redemption towards the end of it where it's like, oh, my God, this character just, you know, took took this turn and moved away from happy and felt betrayed. 
but by the end of it, it all came full circle. It was that that very much just the whole Ted Lasso way of just killing with kindness, positivity, positivity, positivity. And, and to me, that's why this show really stands out head and shoulders above everything else that's out right now is just it's it's immense positivity. So you mentioned a lot of stuff right there. So let's yep. dig into some of it. Profanity is one thing I want to talk about here, because, you know, for a show that's all about that persistent kindness, you know, and, and how it can change the world. And, and, you know, it's all about this super nice guy who positively affects everybody around him. There sure is a lot of profanity. I mean, every second word is an F-bomb on this show. But I, I like how there's profanity galore in the show. But Ted never resorts to using profanity himself. Except, Not until the last season. Yeah, yeah. until the episode uh, in, in season three when his mother comes. So, first off, I want to just talk about that for a minute. His mom, Dottie Lasso, played by Becky Ann Baker. She was also the mom on Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, yeah, and, she's great. She usually oh, has that, yeah. that mom role. She's quite good. And she also played Lena Dunham's mom on Girls. That scene with her and Peter Scolari in that show when they're doing it in the shower and Peter Scolari falls on the floor. Oh, my God. So good. But anyway, so so Ted Lasso doesn't use profanity himself except when his mom comes to visit and they're alone. And he says, F- you to her. And he says mm-hmm. it over and over and over again. And it was all about him finally just being honest with her. Mm-hmm. And so much of this show to me is about, you know, how much better the world could be if we were just more true to ourselves. If we could just be more honest with our loved ones. Like, like, and to me, that's what this scene represented. Like, I don't, I, I don't know how many people could be this honest with their loved ones, especially their parents. But if they were, like, we might be better off. Yeah, it's... Um... It, that that's again the positivity and the on the honesty i think it, like you know if that's a thing we describe this show it's like it's got heart and it's honest and i think that uh, th- that that's the real sort of secrets behind this show of why it's been so successful we should also probably talk about the uh the way that the show addresses homosexuality because at the beginning of season three colin hughes one of the midfielders mm-hmm. is seen waking up and leaving his boyfriend's apartment he sneaks out because he doesn't want anyone to know that he's gay Right. And Trent Krim, who's following the team and writing a book on them, sees him leaving the apartment. And it sets up this whole subplot. And you're like wondering, like, is Trent going to out Colin? And like, what might happen if he does? But it turns out that Trent's gay too. And so he keeps Colin secret. And when it comes out that Colin is gay, McAdoo, the captain, he's pissed. Right. And he won't talk to him. But you find out he's mad, not because Colin's gay, but because Colin wasn't honest with him. Yeah. Like, I love the way the show handles these situations. Even Keeley has a relationship with a woman, right? Yeah. I, I think inclusion is an important theme of this show as well. So, so, so that being said, we've touched on a couple. What do you think are some of the most important themes or messages of this show? Because it, it has a lot of them, I think. Yeah, I think I think. Uh, you know, along with the positivity, it's just the idea that that everyone can love everyone. The whole idea, you know, the love is love. It's whether it's 
the traditional a man loves a woman, whether it's two men loving each other, two women loving each other, the the love and bond between parents, like we talked about, you were talking about uh, Ted Lasso and his mom, uh, whether you're talking about the love and the brotherhood of people that aren't of your blood, but are, you know, become your family, like, like in a sports team, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's the... The, 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 yeah, you know, I can't even really describe it, right? I'm doing a terrible job describing it. But, I, I think, I think it's like kindness, inclusion, forgiveness, and love. Sure. I'll I give you all those. Those are the themes of this show that, that come to my mind. Well, okay. So, one thing is a, a complete different tangent I want to talk about is Ted Lasso versus Barry. Okay. 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 Very so, different shows, but where are you going yeah. with this? So, so these two shows have battled it out at the Emmys. For the past three years. And I think it's led some people to argue about which one is sort of quote unquote better. But here's the thing. Maybe we need to do a podcast on Barry sometime too. That'd be cool, actually. We should. Well, but I don't know if Barry has the uh, the audience of Ted Lasso. So some of our listeners may be a little lost if we do that. But yeah. but anyway, but we but, both watched the series. So certainly happy to indulge you on that one. Ted Lasso, I'm perfectly fine with being nominated for Best Comedy Series Emmys. But is Barry really a comedy? Um, it's yeah, kinda, it's, it's on the border, right? It's yeah, it's more, more of a dramatic, dark comedy, especially the last season. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's. I mean the the award categories are so rife with category fraud, where where you know people and producers put their show in a category they think they can win, even if it's not technically the right category for their show to be in, but. Yeah, to, to call Ted Lasso a comedy, sure. To call Barry a comedy, yeah. Different kinds of comedy. It's hard to compare them as apples to apples. It's a very broad category. And um, I've heard I've heard like a lot of people online saying like Barry should win all these awards, but it won't because of that nice guy soccer coach show. But it's like Barry isn't even really a comedy. So I don't know. I just that's something that came to my mind. I don't know. I want to bring that. Yeah, it's 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 a discussion for another day. I think you can so, still enjoy both shows. Oh yeah, and I do. I do enjoy them. I want to again go back to the finale. One of the things about the finale, and and all finales, all good finales should have, is sort some sort of way to wrap up the characters and like what their future is going to be. So I want to start with Rebecca. My wife said to me early in this season three that she wanted this show to end up with Rebecca hooking up with the guy from the boat. And I think I think I, her exact words actually were, she better end up with him. Or <laughs> I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> and lo and behold, in the final minutes of the finale, when they're basically showing what happens to all the characters, you know, they're going one-to-one. And, and, and um, she runs into, like she's leaving the airport after she says goodbye to Ted. And she runs into the guy from the boat. He's a, he's a pilot. Going into the airport. Which I believe he did mention in that boat episode. He might have, yeah. So my wife was very, very happy about that. So there there was that, and there was Coach Beard. He married Jane. So that was good. I, I, I like how he leaves the plane, too. Pretending his appendix is about to yeah. burst. <laughs> and, and Lasso's like, other side, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and they, they get buried at Stonehenge, too. That was kind of Of cool. course. Um, yeah. Keely, I thought was interesting the way they wrapped that up because Roy and Jamie get into a fist fight over. Her, yeah. And then they're like, okay, you have to pick which one you want to be with. <laughs> and she's like, okay, neither one. Yeah, she kicks them both out, which I thought was funny. And I love how later at the picnic, she still isn't with either one of them. 
Yeah. Which means that love triangle will, you know, go on forever or it's left ambiguous. You usually like those ambiguous endings. So, yeah, honestly, this this is one thing that I often have a problem with when a show is clearly doing its finale where um, where it's a show. I'll use Star Trek as an example. So in a show like Star Trek, where the characters are supposed to be part of the crew of this ship. And then in the season finale, everybody gets promoted and leaves. It's like you've already established through the course of the show that it's rare for someone to get promoted and leave. And the fact that in order to make all the loose ends tie up, you do that just always seems like a huge cheat. Like you always got to think what's going to happen the day after this show airs in the story of this of this fictional story that's been created with this one. Part of the way that I uh, part of the thing that I really liked about it is that each season of the show has been essentially a calendar year in their lives and a season of the football team. So there is a natural ending. Players may retire. Players may get traded, uh, you know, and, and and as we often see with professional sports uh, during the offseason, players do things like get married or travel around the world or you know they try and coordinate so that their their partner has the baby during the off season you know as much as you can time these things so i think a lot of the stuff that they showed here with the you know what are they all doing after the the conclusion of this this season i didn't really have a beef with it like i have with other shows all the things they showed seemed to make a lot of sense um you know some of them sure might have been just a little bit of wish fulfillment for for me as the audience but no i I thought it was great i thought that uh, there was none of the none of them had an ending that just seemed ridiculously far-fetched given where their characters stories had had come from and progressed to so uh jamie tart i love how his character changes over the three seasons he went from being this cocky jerk to a guy that just wants to get comfort from his mother you know, and he wants to have a relationship with his dad. And I love one of the final scenes. You see him, he's in the rehab center with his dad. And his dad is all sort of cleaned up. And clearly, like, he's committed to working on his addiction issues. I thought that was mm-hmm. great. That was good. And then Roy Kent, he becomes the coach. Yeah. See Richmond, which it's so fitting, you know, like he, well, he should be. Yeah. And you see that obviously he's been he's been one of Ted's assistant coaches through this season but he also has been coaching Jamie one on one and we've seen the progression mm-hmm. of Jamie's play so it's not that it's just oh he's the guy that's there it's clear that he's demonstrated an ability because again you and I as sports fans know a great player doesn't equate to be a great coach. I mean, Wayne Gretzky was a coach of a hockey team for a couple of years, and th- that team didn't win any Stanley Cups with Wayne Gretzky behind the bench. So no. you can't necessarily equate great play on the field to great play behind the bench. But in this case, I think they did a really good job with the Roy Kent character of establishing, yeah, in his prime as a player, he was the man, but he has clearly continued to learn and develop as a coach behind the scenes. So that to me made perfect sense that he was the one to get to get promoted in. And, and of course the last character to talk about that gets wrapped up is Ted Lasso. So he, he returns to his home in Kansas and he's finally seen coaching his son's soccer team. So, so here's my question for you. Yep. Do you think he also got back together with his wife? Yeah. I had this conversation with a couple other people to watch the show. I don't think he got back together with the wife, but I do think the wife, uh, turfed the, the doctor boyfriend that she had been with in large part because of the way he behaved when they were watching the soccer match in the last episode, how he was just so dismissive of it. Um, and I think she picked up on the fact that even if he had those feelings about 
the, the sport of soccer and of Ted's involvement and didn't want to be involved with it. If he's going to be a part of, of her life, she, he has to be a father figure to her son. Obviously he could never replace his actual father, but you need to, to have shared interests and, and indulge him. And the fact that he was just so adversarial and, and combative, uh, with the son cheering on the team. And yet he was there being a doofus about it. I think that was sort of the, the light bulb came on for, for Ted's ex and was sort of like, I don't know what I want, but I think I realize this isn't the guy I need. So long way around. I don't think she's back with Ted. I don't think the door is completely closed, but I'd be shocked to find out that she's still with the other guy. So I disagree. I agree. And I disagree with you. Okay. So I agree that she turfed the, the boyfriend, but I disagree with you. I think they got back together. Uh, that that to me is, I think, too much of a happy ending. Uh, it's, I, I but think it's ambiguous, of course. It is, and yeah. I think that it's one of these things where she's probably indulging it a little bit for the sake of the son, who's obviously had a hard time with the fact that his dad's been living abroad for a few years. But I, I think they deliberately didn't show it because mm-hmm. I think it, it makes for better TV to of not course. have that answered. Of course, but here's, here's why I think that they do get back together. is because when she came to England with her new boyfriend, the doctor mm-hmm. in the pub, her and Ted shared a bunch of laughs. Right. And then she, they just seemed to be on the same wavelength with each other where the other guy is just like disconnected from her. And then right. watching that final game, like you mentioned, her boyfriend doesn't even share interest at all. He's just, he's on yeah. his phone. Right. And then the other thing was, is you've got to think too. And, and they kind of allude to it. The boyfriend doesn't connect with the son either yeah as you mentioned so i think they do oh and by the way i want to mention it took me a while to place where i'd seen the actress that played his wife before this she was on the friends spinoff joey yeah she was the roommate the one that joey's love interest yeah yeah i remember that show because i remember i was on a business trip at the time i think it was around like 2004 or 2005 i was on this trip and i got to the hotel and i was relaxing and i was just like okay just hanging out and I put it on the TV and the pilot episode of Joey came on. I didn't like it. I thought it kind of sucked. But I remember Andrea Anders played his next door neighbor or something or whatever she was. And she was like pretty and kind of unique looking. So it took me a little while to, to place her. But it finally came to me on that. But anyway, I think Ted Lasso and her get back together. I really do. I hope so anyway. So, yeah, I, th- I think most of the audience is is in that camp, right? You you want the the happy ending for all the characters, especially for Ted being the main character. He's, you know, in the first again, I just watched the first one again where he's he's clearly leaving a troubled marriage. And even in the very first episode, he talks about, you know, she wanted space and, and there's you know, she's had this opportunity to sort of think about what she wants. But, um, yeah, no, it's uh, I don't know. I I. I personally, I don't think they get back together. Um, I think they remain friends. I think they remain close. I think they, they co-parent the child together, but no, I don't see a romantic relationship there. Okay. So to to kind of wrap up here, I want to talk about the production of the show because I'd like to think that everyone involved in this show loved their time working on it. And I I think that came through in the finale. I think the scene with Rebecca, when she says goodbye to, to Ted involved mm-hmm. some real tears from the actor. Oh, I'm sure it did. Like, I, I'm shocked it, if it did. It felt like she was saying goodbye to him in real life, too. And 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 I read somewhere that the the I, I, and I can't remember if it was 
Brendan Hunt. He was Coach Beard, so it was probably not him, but Bill Lawrence was the showrunner, right? So he had this like no policy on the production of this show. So mm-hmm. basically no egotistical was allowed behind the scenes. Everybody had to treat everybody else with respect and, you know, nothing otherwise was sort of to- tolerated. And if that's the case, I think it helped the show because it comes across like everybody truly enjoyed being there and doing the show. You know, I, I and I think for the overarching message of the show, which as we mentioned, were like kindness and inclusion and forgiveness and love. Those things can only come through authentically if everybody is like that behind the scenes too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree a hundred percent. That's what I think. I mean, any final thoughts on Ted Lasso? It's a great show. If you haven't watched it, give it a chance. Uh, I love that at, the, at least in the first season, the episodes are about 30 minutes a piece. You can bang through two or three of them pretty quickly and get a good sense of whether or not you think this show's for you. In the last season, most of the episodes run closer to an hour, but by then you are pretty heavily invested in the characters and the story and you want more from each episode. And I, I really liked that as the seasons went on and as the story got more developed and the characters became more developed that the episodes got longer and i think that's that's a good sign because there's been some shows where i've watched where you're expecting 30 minute episodes and they're like oh my god this one's 55 minutes what the hell but i never once felt that way in fact the opposite as i started to like the show more and more i i was disappointed when the episodes weren't even longer than the one before it but uh, no i i think this is a great show if you're not watching it already give it a chance if you don't have Apple TV, do what I did. See if you can find some way to get one of those, you know, 90-day free trials. And the very first thing you need to do is binge the show from start to finish, and uh, and you'll be good. You'll be glad you did. I think if you haven't seen this show already, and you're listening to this podcast, you got a lot of spoilers. <laughs> so that's unfortunate. True. But I just want to go back to what I said before. As a guy that just loves Gen X stuff, this is one of the best post-Gen X TV shows that that I've ever seen. It was just phenomenal. I can't say enough about it. Loved it, yep. loved it, loved it, loved it. All right, let's have some fun with Caveman. Okay, so this is sort of like Pick the Flick. Okay. You know, we play that game. Instead Please of, tell me it's Pick the Stash. Uh, no. Inst- oh. Instead of movies, what you have to do is name the title of TV shows. Okay. All the TV shows are named after the main character of the show. Oh, my God. Oh, this is going to be so hard. Okay. Seriously, you're going to do so well. It's so easy. Okay. So I'll give you the years that the show ran, the synopsis of the show, and you just have to give me the title. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot of information. Okay. I'm I'm calming down a little bit. Nail this. Nail this. Okay. 1997 to 2003. A young woman destined to slay vampires, demons, and other infernal creatures deals with her life fighting evil with the help of her friends the oprah winfrey show no i'm just kidding uh uh buffy the vampire slayer see you're doing so well okay 2018 to 2023 a hitman from the midwest moves to los angeles and gets caught up in the city's theater arts scene uh sorry what were the years 2018 to 2023. Oh, 2018. I thought you said 2013. I'm like, a show that's been running 10 seasons? That's got to be Barry. Of course. Okay. 
We're going to go back now. 1976 to 1983. One of my favorites of all time. Yeah. Yeah. The cases of a brilliant, if irascible, coroner who investigates suspicious deaths that usually suggest murder. That would be uh, Quincy, M.D. It's Quincy M.E. M.E., pardon me, medical examiner. Medical examiner. I was thinking House M.D., which might be one of your... All right, 1972 to 1978, all in the family spinoff centered around Edith's cousin, a liberal independent woman living in Tuckahoe, New York. And was that, wasn't that just called Maud? And you were worried about this. Yeah. You're doing so. And then there's Maud. Yeah. yeah. And then there's Maud. All right. 1975 to 1979. Two streetwise cops bust criminals in their red and white Ford Grand Torino with the help of a police snitch, Huggy Bear. Yeah. That was um, Starsky and Hutch. 1964 to 1967. Seven men and women are stranded on an uncharted island following a torrential storm. Uh, That would be Gillian's Island. Still worried that you're not going to do well on this one? No, no, no. I'm I'm feeling better. Feel more confident. You're doing so much better. Now you throw a curveball at me. All right. We're going back in time again. 1973 to 1978. A a bald, lollipop-sucking police detective with a fiery, righteous attitude, battles crime in his city. Who loves you, baby? Kojak. 1982 to 1986, the weekly adventures of tough-as-nails veteran police officer who rides the beat with his rookie partner, Vince Romano. Rides the beat? I don't know. I wanted to say uh, Hunter, but I know that's wrong. T.J. Hooker. Oh, okay. Vince Romano was, of course, um, Adrian Zamed. Sure. No, no. no I don't know who that is either. Okay. 1990 to 1995, a teenage girl living in a house run by men dreams what life would be like if she lived a more conventional family. Wow. That doesn't even sound familiar at all. I have no idea. Blossom. Okay. Sure. 1981 to 1988, two female police detectives cooperate with each other, both in their professions and in their personal lives. Was that uh, Cagney and Lacey? Very good. Okay. 2009 to 2011, adventures of a teenage pop star who keeps her identity secret from even her closest friends by using a disguise on stage. Was that, um, oh, that's the, what the hell's her, that's her real name. Um, Hannah Montana. And the last one, 2004 to 2019, after her best friend is murdered and her father is removed as county sheriff, a young woman dedicates her life to cracking the toughest mysteries in the affluent town of Neptune. Was that uh, Veronica Mars? And see, you were worried. You were worried about this. No reason at all. Oh, man, you did really well. Derek, we need to take a week off around here. Next week, I'm not available, unfortunately, my friend. It's my wedding anniversary. Congratulations, Chris. How many years will you have been married next year? 
15, next week, 15 me. years <laughs> next week. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's an important milestone. You, know, not, you should celebrate more milestones around here. Yeah, no kidding. Not quite the 20 years that you just celebrated, but I mean, it's close. So, I mean, yeah. there's that. So, congratulations. I off. So, you know, you so go. we'll come back the week after that. Until then, this is Chris McBride on behalf of myself and Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.